There we go. I, I just turned it on. It's okay. Ooh, it's loud. Good? Okay. <clears throat> All right. Um, let's start class with a prayer today. Holy and mighty God, I thank you so much for just letting us approach you like this and letting us experience this life with you and with each other. I pray as we study more about gaining your wisdom and being the people we should be, and especially through suffering, I pray that you'll help us to, no matter where we are, to look toward you for guidance. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So we have today and two more classes, so through the end of February, and then I believe Mr. Brad will be doing a class after that on Sunday mornings. Um, So, we are in the last chapter of Job today. Next week we'll be kind of to kind of a wrap-up summary of things, like a conclusion type class. And then the, the next class after that, we're actually going to, it's going to be related, but it's going to be all about, it's kind of a discussion about the problem of pain and suffering in the world, um, just in general. And the, the arguments, like the philosophical and theological and, and dealing with that problem, because it's, as we've mentioned before, it's, it's one of the reasons, it's a, a large reason that a lot of people end up either hating God or deciding that they don't believe in God because of it, etc. So I think it's, it's a pretty important topic. So last week we talked about how uh, God responding to Job, uh, chapters 38 through 41. And uh, this is where it starts using the term Yahweh for God, uh, like making it a, a bigger deal about who this is. He, starts, he takes Job on a tour of the universe, and starts from talking about constellations down to the weather and all the way down to like ostrich eggs and how he's repeatedly asking Job the question, the rhetorical question, do you understand how this works? Do you get this? And obviously Job doesn't. And God's making the point to him over and over that you can't understand the basic building blocks of the universe and even things around you. What makes you think that you can understand me and my job? And so don't tell me how to do my job, basically. And, um, and Job wisely replies by not saying anything, really. <laughs> His reply is, I'm not going to say anything. Um, and then God talks about the behemoth and Leviathan. And I talked about how I don't want to get wrapped around the axle about what is the biological or zoological definition of these, or identification of these things. I think that they're... Mythical creatures, uh, Leviathan especially was. Uh, it's, it comes from the Babylonian idea of the seven-headed dragon called uh, Leitan, that was a chaos monster. But I think these are they're used as points of comparison. I talk about how Behemoth is being compared to Job as far as how God wants Job to be. He wants him. To, he he starts off talking about. Behemoth by saying, Behemoth, who I created along with you, and saying that he's like you. And 
I want you to be able to stand up against the raging waters like Behemoth does. And when, when things crash against you, that's how you need to be. And because, like Behemoth, I've taken care of you, I've, I've sheltered you, even though it doesn't seem like it, I have. Um, and I've given you, I, you're the pinnacle of my creation, as he says about Behemoth. And uh, Leviathan is comparing to God. Um, it's saying things like, um, he cannot be controlled, he's invulnerable, he's dangerous when riled, and nothing is its equal. And saying that, it's like the first speech of, Je- of God is saying, don't think this way because I'm bigger than you. And the second speech of God between, uh, between uh, after Job says, I'm not saying anything, is all about how Job should think. He should be trusting in God like Behemoth trusts in God. And he should recognize that God is, is more powerful than he can imagine. All of this to get across the point that things are more complex than Job can understand. And to us, same thing. Um, I, I thought of the, the, the quote from Hamlet, There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than dreamt of in your philosophy. And it, it's true. There's, there's more things in, that we can think of. Um, and so the only reasonable thing to do after all of this is to trust the most powerful God and the wise being who loves you and also don't tell God what to do. So, today we're going to be looking at ch- uh, chapter 42. Um, it, it's a, this is a long and hard book. 42 chapters is a lot of chapters. <laughs> There's a lot of words in this, in this book. Um, and I keep saying this, but if you haven't yet, really sit down and read the whole thing in one chunk. It, it takes a couple hours, maybe, depending on how fast you read. Um, but it, it's going to make more, a lot more sense when you see it in one, in one piece. And honestly, any book you study, do that. Most of the books, with maybe Psalms and a couple others uh, as exceptions, are intended to be read at once. Because if you just take chunks out of it, you're missing the entire context of the book. And, and it, may, it means a lot more and makes much more sense. You just catch it a lot more. So anyway, Job has just been lectured by God, as, as I just talked about, for a few chapters, and somehow he's still able to speak. And so today we're going to go ahead and read through all of chapter 42, because it's not terribly long, um, and uh, once again, to kind of get the, the whole picture. And Haley's going to read through that for us, and then I will have some things to say. So go ahead. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, I am angry with you and your friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite Bildad the Shuhite and Zophor the Namanite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. 
After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him came before or had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hepuk. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man and full of years. Oh, thank you very much. So, Job starts and ends with a narrative. Starts out talking about, chapters 1 and 2 sets up the charge against God and and sets up Job's, Job's sufferings. And then chapter 42 kind of shows Job's restoration and the verdict, sort of, of this God on this trial on, uh, that God is being put through. And everything else is like speeches and, and talk and philosophical and theological discussions about how this stuff goes down. And I, I think this chapter of Job is honestly largely overlooked. We tend to boil this chapter down pretty quickly into Job got his stuff back. Yay, Job. And it, it tends to be a, we, we, we suffer, in Job, we suffer on Job's suffering, or sorry, we, we focus on Job's suffering, and God's speeches, and we sum up chapter 4 just like he, he got double what he had. But I really think there's a lot more meat to this last chapter than I used to think before I really got into this study, and that's why I'm spending an entire class on this, just, just this chapter. So after, after Job is lectured by God, um, by the God of the universe, basically on how Job is not the God of the universe, uh, and how he needs to shift, to shift his perspective, Job responds once more, but kind of, he kind of says what he said before, but he adds in a, a bit of repentance. He says, my ears have heard, had heard, but now my eyes have seen you. Kind of like, I heard secondhand, now I know firsthand, I, know what, I, I get it now. He says, therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now, this translation, I despise myself, doesn't really get the point across. And it, it's, in my opinion, it's not a very good translation. Um, it's kind of, we translate it that way because the King James translated it, abhor, I abhor myself, like I hate myself. And kind of, it's kind of been a, like a tradition since then to translate it that way. So I'll get, to, I'll get to that in a second, but how, if you are in a situation like Job, maybe not that extreme, but say you've made a mistake, done something really stupid, and you realize it, what you've done wrong, how should you, how should we react when, that, that, when we realize that kind of thing? You should be happy. You should be happy. Yeah, that you finally figured it out, that you're not still doing the dumb thing. Okay, that's a good point. Uh, yeah. Are you 
hate yourself for being stupid and then ask forgiveness for being stupid. Okay, that's common, yeah. I think the line, my ears have heard you, but now my eyes have seen you, is kind of an awe-inspiring thing. And I don't know that that would lead me personally to shoot myself. I think I'd be like, wow, you created me. That's cool. I don't know, that's just me. Yeah. It's, it's, it, the awe of God would may, maybe not... Depends on who you are. Maybe it doesn't lead you to hate yourself. <laughs> I hope it doesn't. Um, is there anything... What, what, what is wrong with despising or abhorring yourself when you make a mistake? Is that helpful or detrimental? Detrimental. detrimental. Why is it detrimental? You don't have to ask. It. It's kind of for everybody to... Yeah. Well, I've seen people who get stuck in a loop of despising themselves and their actions, and that can be hard to move on from. It's hard to change your actions often when you're stuck in a loop of anger with your own actions. Yeah, it's easy. It's very easy to get to get stuck in a loop of hatred, self hatred. <laughs> like, and I, I've. I think, I, I think hating yourself and, or abhorring yourself or whatever term you want to throw in there is, I think it's very an, an unhealthy way to react if you're going to stay there um, and, and, and just get in that loop. I mean, I struggle with this all the time. I always have. Christy's always lecturing me on it. <laughs> and she's, she's helping me get out of the loop. I'm very hard on myself when I mess up. Um, but, I mean, sure, you note, I think it's good to notice that you messed up and learn from it, but... And, and change, but be, I think beating yourself up just beats you down. And when you, when you I, I've, I've heard people reference this verse, like, well, Job despised himself like he's supposed to. And um, I, I think that what, what's really, to get to the point, it's not that Job is hating himself or being wrong. What this word actually is better translated, it's used el- elsewhere lots in the Bible for reject, to reject an idea. And so he's, he's not hating himself. He's rejecting what he was doing. And the, it's, it's, it's mirrored in the second line in repent in dust and ashes. And that's how a lot Hebrew poetry works usually. It's, it's like they say the two things uh, in, in, in line with each other. So he says when he says, he's, it should say, I reject my ways and I repent in dust and ashes. Yeah. I retract. That's good. Yeah, um, I like the voice translation. Therefore, I realize the truth and I disavow and mourn all I have said, which is it's a really good way to, to sum that up. It's like, I take it back, <laughs> and I'm sad about what I did. It's, it's not saying, oh, well, made a mistake, do-do-do. He, he's, he's not happy about it. He's mourning what he did. And I think this is a good example of how we should... I think this is a healthy way to respond when we realize we've made a mistake or sinned or, or anything, is to say, I wish I hadn't done that, and I'm, it, I'm sad about it. I mourn that decision and that action, and I repent. But I'm not going to stay there and, and wallow in it and beat myself up. I think, I think that that is what Satan wants us to do. Because when you beat yourself up, you end up getting in a, a situation where you are immobile, you, you, can't, you can't move forward because you are just so down on yourself. You can't do anything good. So um, that's your therapy for the day. Um, 
So then, yeah. That's a good point. If you, if you think of yourself that way, it allows you to think of other people that way. Right. We may abhor the things we've done. But yeah. Try to separate the person that God made you from things that you do. Yeah, to maybe abhor the things you've done, but not yourself, because God has made you. God, yeah, like, we are the pinnacle of God's creation. He, he made us wonderful and, and beautiful. And, like... Um, Chrissy's often saying to our kids, don't say anything to yourself that you wouldn't say to somebody, to one of your own friends. And so don't, don't tell yourself you're horrible. You wouldn't tell one of your friends you're a horrible person. You know, you, you may say you made a mistake, but you can move on from that. I think that's a really good way to look at things. So um, God then, after, after Job... Uh, says this, God begins lecturing Job's friends. And he really drives home the point by saying to them that um, you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. And he's really, really angry with them. And he, he tells them to sacrifice some animals, and, and which will take care of everything, right? Just sacrificing the animals? No. Job has, he, Job has to say a prayer for them, which I think is super interesting in this in this. Uh, situation. Um, and so Job says the prayer, and everything is restored to him, double what it was before. Um, so when, when Job's blessings are restored, and he gets his stuff back, um, this is a, a screenshot from the Bible Project video on Job, which we'll, we'll watch maybe next time. Is it, When he gets all of his stuff back, double what he had before, is anyone bothered by any of what happens or how he got his stuff back? It's not what he had before. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, completely new people. Yeah, he didn't, God didn't raise his children from the dead. He lost 10 kids. I mean, that, that's a lot of loss. And Job's supposed to be happy about it? It's like, but you, you got twice as many donkeys. <laughs> and that's kind of the same thing, right? You know, anything else about this restoration that's odd? Yeah. 
It all, it all balances out like a good, a good piece of literature or drama, yeah. Because it, he, it starts out with him having a bunch of stuff. He, it's, it's, a, it's sad in the middle, and then it's happy in the end. And it's, it kind of, it kind of makes sense that way, yeah. Twenty kids. Yeah, honestly, the the the, just the twenty kids aspect makes me wonder about the historicity of this. It makes me think that maybe it's a parable. Yeah. No, I I I know it's not it's not impossible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of friends and family who suddenly show up and give him gold rings and stuff. Yeah, maybe they didn't show before because they didn't have anything worth saying. Yeah, yeah, family didn't show up. Friends from a long way away came and showed up. Yeah, Tamara. Right. That's very interesting, the fact that he, they named the three daughters. And uh, the, uh, I cracked me up, I didn't realize Jemima came from Job. It's not just syrup. Yeah. It's interesting that it focuses on all the physical blessings and not, you know, we're taught now to focus on the spiritual yeah. blessings. Yeah, focuses on the physical, not the spiritual blessings. Yeah, Cindy? Yeah, Elihu's not included in the list of people that are being yelled at. There are lots of lots of theories as to why, and I don't know about any of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Going back to the, um, I keep harping on this retribution principle idea about how that's not how God works. Doesn't it seem that that's how God's working? I mean, I, that's one one kind of objection to this is. Well, here, here the possible problematic things with Job's restoration. It doesn't erase the suffering experience, so getting his stuff back even double seems hollow. Um, providing Job with more children does not heal his grief for the ones he lost, like Hannah said. Restoring Job's prosperity seems to support the retribution principle, because Job did a, he he held faithful to God the whole time, and God it's, it almost seems like God's like all right. I'm going to reward you now. It almost seems like a reward, and which goes against the, what God was even saying to the to Job, as far as that, that's basically not how I work. I'm going to I'm going to, I'm going to work the way I want to work. Um, but remember that this whole book is essentially God being put on trial for the way He treats humanity, uh, and the challenger accuses God of being unwise by letting the righteous prosper. Like he says, are, are you sure that Job loves you? Because doesn't he love you just because he has all these blessings, and which just kind of sets off the whole thing. And Job kind of inadvertently won the case for God because by remaining faithful to God regardless of what he had uh, and what was happening, 
and not giving in and admitting some sort of sin or trying to do some elaborate sacrifice to please God and, and try to get his fortune back using this, like through this uh, mercenary religion thing that we talked about. Um, because Job did all that, the challenger is proven wrong. The challenger is, it, it loses the case, and God wins. So now that God won the trial, to me what's happening here is God is simply making it clear that he tends to keep running things the way he wants to run things, with his wisdom. And he's made it clear to Job that he runs things according to his own holy wisdom, and not our wisdom, not the way we think things should run. And he's, not, and he's made it clear that he's not bound by the retribution principle or this great symbiosis idea. And so when he gives Job prosperity more than he had before, Job and we are supposed to understand that, it's not, that God is not being forced to do this. If this was the retribution principle or the great symbiosis, where in, meaning that we do things for the gods and the gods do things for us in return because like, they have to, um, if, if that's what it was, then God would be kind of obligated to do something for Job. But God's not, and he's made that clear that he's not. So this is not a payment. He's not paying Job for being good. It's not a reward. Job didn't deserve it because he went through suffering. This is a gift. And this is a very, very good example of God giving just a gift to somebody. Because sometimes... A father just likes to give gifts to his kids for no reason, because they love them. Um, and when we see his restoration in general in this way, the first, the, like it kind of raises the third one, and the first two don't seem as concerning, as problematic, because they're just gifts. The restoration of Job's prosperity isn't intended to erase his pain and suffering. God never says... I'm giving your stuff back so you're, you're not so sad. <laughs> he just gives him these gifts, maybe to make his life easier, because it, it's, it's easier to, to have wealth than not in, in the world sometimes. He's not trying to replace his children with better-looking children. When he talks about how his daughters are the most beautiful ones in the world, right? Um, and it, the, honestly, the restoration here is not primar- it's primarily not even about Job. It's about God. God decided to give him a gift because he wanted to give him a gift. And it also doesn't mean that just because you, the, if you suffer a lot, then you're going to get a big return at the end. Um, I've heard that idea kind of floated around too, that um, the more you suffer, the more you're going to gain, the, the, like, the bigger your reward in heaven or whatever. That's not the point. Uh, I mean, he lost ten children. And getting 10 more children doesn't erase that loss. Yeah. Um, as we're talking, and kind of going back to um, when Job kind of defined himself or retracted kind of what he said, it made me think a lot about uh, what's said in Second Corinthians um, when Paul's writing. He says, even if I cause you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it. Though I, though I did regret it, I see that the letter hurts you. Along the 
Yeah, that I, I can't summarize all you said. What, what verse was that? Uh, Second Corinthians uh, seven, verse nine. Second Corinthians seven through nine. Yeah, just just the the entire concept of the, when you go through suffering, hopefully, it will give you a new perspective on things. It will help you realize what's going on on a larger scale. I, I, speaking for myself, it definitely has changed my perspective on things going through what I'm going through. Suddenly, I'm much less concerned with a lot of stuff that is short-term. <laughs> um, and I, I'm focusing much more on eternal stuff. Yeah, John. You know, it's sort of like, you know, when you really look at it, what we, we can always, can always try to distill things down into a principle that we understand. So, I mean, we, we try to figure God out. And I think the bottom line to, you know, to that, that slide up there is that God's not bound by the restoration principle, but he's also not bound by the opposite of that. Right. Yeah, and that's a big point from this. He's not bound by the retribution principle, but if he wants to act that way, he sure can. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he re- rewards people for being good. Sometimes he punishes, like, immediately. I mean, he does in the eternal sense, but sometimes he punishes people immediately for being bad. And, uh, like, God is allowed to work the way God works. We, he's not bound to the way we think he should work. And so, um, Yeah. Yeah, and that's a good point. I don't, I don't want to make it sound like God's just saying, I'm God, I can do what I want to do. Um, what he's getting at is, as I, as I said multiple times about his God's speeches, he's saying that there's more to this than you understand. There, this is much more complicated. I love you. I want to give you gifts sometimes, if, if it makes sense, if it's wise. I'm not, like, I'm not going to give my kid, kids gifts every day because then it becomes nothing. They're like, they expect it. And, but I'm going to give them gifts when it makes sense, and sometimes I'm going to let them suffer because it makes sense. And, and it's, it, God loves us and wants to do the best thing for us. It's not just that he's like, well, I'll do what I want to do. You, you deal with it yourself. Yeah, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, to Christy's point, I, and I think we can make too much of this, uh, and it's still something I'm really wrestling with in my head, but one thing to keep in mind in this story is um, we know everything Job knows almost but we were introduced with a scene Job did not get. Yeah. And, and we know more that, about the that situation. The introductory scene is so crucial to the book because we do know something, whatever we're to make of it, we do know something Job doesn't know um, at the opening of the book. And it's possible that that breeds meaning to the reader, but doesn't breed meaning to Job. Yeah, Job didn't know what happened in heaven when Challenger came and, and did this stuff. Job just knows, 
Well, even God, God even says it in chapter 3, at 2 or 3, that, you know, Job suffered for no reason. There was, like, there's no, there's going to be no reason, but there was a purpose. And he, it, it's not Job's fault that this happened, but because it happened, there, something could be done for God. Yeah, Brad? Yeah, the most righteous man on earth still had things he needed to fix. Yeah, and, and that, that um, this, this verse, uh, you've spoken the truth about me, you've not spoken the truth about me, as my servant Job has, that, that actually really should be more like you've spoken something, reason, or you've not spoke, been reasonable like Job has. It's not about truth about God. It's that Job was reasonable about what he was saying. He, he, he understood God better than his friends did. And he, he wasn't a perfect person necessarily. But, and yeah, we all have things to work on. Um, and so this book, is, I think, is intended to not teach us that if you suffer, you're going to get stuff back. It's intended to get this point across that um, wisdom is not always understanding, but trusting in the God who, who does understand. And really trying to follow that and do what God wants us, wants, God wants us to trust him through the confusion and the, and the pain. Um, any, any, I, I have some more stuff we, I can talk about, but any more comments? Yeah. Yeah, we may not understand what's going on, and we often don't. Um, but being faithful and trusting is, is I think, the key. Uh, one of the common comments, uh, uh, commentaries that I read talked a lot about how what is trying to get a, the points that's trying to be made here is that we shouldn't be we we tend to focus on reasons, like why did this happen to me? What is the reason? And God is more concerned with a purpose. And those kind of sound like maybe the same thing sometimes. But a purpose is a larger thing. A purpose is, is, a, is a destination, like where you're going with something. A reason is why, like a reaction sort of. Like this happened, so this happened. And, but God is, and if, if we can get ourselves kind of aligned that way, as far as there's a larger purpose for us, there's a large, like the purpose of having a relationship with God, like the eternal purpose, that's much more important than what happens to me now in this life. And we tend to react to our experiences and judge God on our experiences, whereas, as God keeps saying, 
there's more to the puzzle. There are more pieces moving. There's more going on than we understand. And I'll be honest, that sounds like platitudes sometimes. It sounds like it's nice to say, but when you're in the midst of something painful and hard, it can be, hard, it can be really difficult to really, really feel that. Um, but I, I think that that is the, the core message of this book, is, is that God is, God is still there. God is still with us, even when we don't understand, and especially when we don't understand. And if we can, if we can have, I mean, that's one great, great thing about having the Spirit within us to help us have that strength to move forward and to trust God. Yeah. One thing, speaking to the larger purpose, um, we kind of gloss over these last couple of verses here that um, Job lived to see the fourth generation, you know, of children. Yeah, Job could influence lots of... He's influencing us now. Yeah. So um, next week, like I said, I'll do kind of a, a wrap-up, and I'm going to get into a, lot, a little bit of how Job really connects to... Like, all these cool connections between um, Job and, and the rest of the entire Old Testament. It's not just... Um, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that later. It's it's it, it's kind of mind blowing the stuff that the ways this connects to other aspects of the Bible like Solomon and Proverbs and even all the way to Christ and how this how how, how this just fits together like a cool puzzle. So um, thanks for being here. I'll see you guys next week.